Hey, welcome to On This Hill, a podcast of Church on the Hill. We are one church in two locations here in Salem and Kaiser, Oregon, and um, yeah, this is episode three for us. We're in a different different spot this morning. Yeah, we got some new digs, and it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, hey, Bruce, before we get to questions, you, you got asked to uh, open up the State Senate uh, yesterday. How'd that go? Yeah, it was really a privilege and an honor to stand up in front of uh, our legislators and uh, open the session in prayer and then have some conversations afterwards with some of our senators. And uh, that's a challenging place. And I, uh, Mm -hmm. I appreciate everyone who takes the time to help lead our state like that. But it's also a place that um, God's wisdom needs to be. Well, then answering some questions uh, from parishioners ought to be a piece of cake after that. Yeah. If you can handle politicians... You can handle <laughs> parishioners. Yeah. And if right. you're a politician listening, God bless you. Thanks yeah, for stepping absolutely. into that arena. Yeah, we've got several that attend our church. It's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I would say we got some smart cookies that attend our church because they ask some questions that are uh, deep. Yeah. I mean, like seriously deep. So let's dig into some of the deep <laughs> you ones. You have 20 minutes to figure out the universe. I know. Yeah. We try to keep this uh, short. So let's see if we can do any justice to some of these questions. But the first one is this. Why did Satan try to persuade Jesus in the desert if he knew Jesus was perfect and wouldn't stray from God? And there's kind of a follow-up here. Is my understanding of Jesus' perfection a bit off? Did Satan not get the memo? I like that. Was he just (laughs) foolish and making a desperate effort? Go. I'll just leave this one completely to you. (laughs) That's a great question, and it's a question lots of people have asked, because it's really, I think, the the struggle of good and evil, right, that is prevalent in our world, in our universe, always has been, always will be, from the beginning of time till the end of time. In the garden, you know, we talked mm-hmm. about this a few weeks ago, the first question in our series, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, Adam, where are you? It was a result of evil showing up in the garden and yep. tempting God's creation. Which, it'd be a good point to say before we get to kind of the meat of that, of why did Satan even try? is that uh, what happened with Jesus in the wilderness, which is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, parallels incredibly closely what happens in the right. garden. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot more than we could dig into, but he was 40 days in the wilderness. You know, so that also represents parts of the Old Testament, 40 being a, a, an important number, but also that the temptations really paralleled what the enemy was trying to do and can, did do to Adam, but could not accomplish in yeah. Jesus. Yeah, self-will, mm-hmm. self-exaltation, you yeah. know, control, all those things that brought down Adam and Eve and continued to bring us down even to this yeah. day. That's the amazing thing. About lust the, of the flesh, about lust the of the eyes, pride of life. He yeah. used all three of those. But yeah. Isn't it amazing? This is a little rabbit hole right here quick, but um, how novels and stories and, and movies mm-hmm. all have this kind of theme, right? right? This protagonist, the antagonist mm-hmm. shows up. The tension, maybe there's a fall, there's a redemption, yeah. there's you know happily ever after or mm-hmm. not, <laughs> there's judgment. It's almost like we're wired for this story. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like there's a creator that hardwired this into us, and it's the way we see the world. What's your favorite movie in, the, in, in all the world? Oh my goodness, wow. Uh, what, what kind of genre does that? I like westerns, and I like science fiction. Yeah. Uh, I, I like a good, the good guy wins in the end movie. Yeah. Like anything where the good guy wins in the end, I'm happy. Yeah. Well, isn't it crazy though? Whether it's a John Wayne <laughs> coming in and or Clint, you know, Clint Eastwood coming in, and again, 
protagonist, antagonist, saving the day or not. And then you can jump to sci-fi, the classic mm-hmm. Star Wars yeah. or, or, you know, Lord of the Rings. They all kind of have that same flow. Yeah. So this question here is, uh, why, did, uh, why did Satan try to do that? Uh, persuade Jesus, tempt Jesus, try to get Jesus to follow him, which is basically what the temptation was about. Mm-hmm. If you worship yeah. me, I will give you. The, that's what Satan was saying, which was mm-hmm. not true uh, in its entirety because they weren't his to give. But if you will bow down to me, if you'll turn these stones into bread. Mm-hmm. I think the short answer for me is that um, this particular temptation is a piece of a much larger story. And like we said, we have to step back and see the flow of God from the beginning to the end and even beyond, which we don't know, which is beyond the book of Revelation, but it's in this this new earth Mm -hmm. where Satan will be cast down. But for the moment, Satan is not cast down. Paul says, I think it's in Hebrews, he says, we do not yet see everything under his feet, but we see Jesus. So it's almost like God has allowed Satan to be on the earth, but Mm -hmm. he has him on a on a leash, and he's saying, you can roam just like a dog yeah. on a leash. Right. You, you can walk the street with me, but you're only going to go so right. far. I hold the end of the leash. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's important, too, to pay attention to, like, if you're asking the question, why did Satan try to persuade Jesus if he knew? Well, Satan's not all-knowing. Sometimes people get this strange idea that God and Satan are equals, and there's this war, and that, you know, who's going to win in the end? Satan's not all-knowing. He didn't know how things were going to turn out. He, he still doesn't understand. So he knew this was the Son of God, but he didn't know that he couldn't fool him or tempt him or, or get him. And if he was really man and he really was tempted in every way like we were, which we just talked about, then they were real temptations. Right. They weren't fake temptations that didn't didn't feel to him yeah. like real temptations. They were. But uh, he overcame. He didn't fall like Adam and Eve did. And that's, I think we, we mentioned that last week too, right? That, that, um, that the Son of God came in, laid behind his divinity, Philippians 2, mm-hmm. and took upon himself the form of a servant. So he had to be made like us in order to sympathize with right. us. He had to be made like us so that we could truly trust him and, and truly see him. So it, it's, it's crazy that um, for a season, this evil is loose on the earth, and that's mm-hmm. the part that stumbles us, right? right. I mean, yeah. I mean, evil is discouraging. Evil is mm-hmm. is evil. Evil is um, is destructive. And and the the question that plagues us is, well, if God is good, how does He allow that, or why does He allow that? But mm-hmm. again, stepping back, that God is in charge of the flow of history, and the end of history helps us, in a sense, trust in the season we're in, trust in the moment we're in, that Satan will never have the last word. He'll have a word in history, but he's never Mm -hmm. going to have the last word. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, that God can, in his God jujitsu, use even the energy of the enemy and turn it towards good. Does he need evil? No, he absolutely does not. He is completely good. But can he use evil that is allowed for free will? For our good, yes, he yeah. can. Yeah, you just think of the three years that Jesus was on the earth. He was, he was, he was misunderstood, misaligned, and so forth, because they couldn't see the end. And the end, God's mm-hmm. end, in Jesus wasn't to conquer Rome or conquer politics. It was to conquer sin. But no one could, even the religious leaders, couldn't understand that. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of interesting, you know. Um, listen to this passage out of Colossians. It says, We were dead in our sins and in, in our flesh, 
and God made us alive with Christ and forgave us all our sins. So there you hear this, this overarching mission of Jesus. I want to redeem mm. humanity from the fall of sin, the power of sin. And he said he canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and had condemned us. And he took it away, nailing it to the cross. This verse 15 of Colossians 2. He disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Mm. So you, you hear this, that it, it, again, just like our movies and our novels, it seemed like the antagonist was winning or was going to win. And mm-hmm. then there's the jujitsu move. I love that kind yeah. of imagery that... In the cross, it's like, oh no, mm-hmm. this was the real battle, and this is my real defeat yeah. from the standpoint of, of the enemy. So before we go to the next question, maybe just try to bring it to, not out of just purely theological, what's the right answer, but into application. Um, it, it seems to me like the enemy kind of has one bag that he pulls all of his tricks out, just a one-trick pony. And he does the same thing with Adam and Eve. It works. It works on every man after that, but it doesn't work on That's Jesus. Such a great, yeah. So when I, I should be able then to recognize because this isn't Jesus showing us how to overcome the enemy. We can't overcome the enemy. This is Jesus overcoming the enemy for us. We didn't defeat the enemy. Jesus did. But I can recognize, like, oh wow, the enemy is going to try to get me to doubt what God says. He did that to Adam, he did it to to Jesus. If you are the Son of God, I doubt that you are, but if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. He's going to tempt us towards self-will, and he's going to tempt us with the eyes, with the flesh, and with with the pride of life. So I I should be paying attention. Wow, when those things come at me, that's the enemy. And I I can't overpower him myself, but my Jesus already has, Yeah, and I can look to him. Yeah. You read the discourse in the Gospel of John, mostly chapters 8, 9, and 10, and you hear Jesus in various spots described, like he says in John, he says, listen, the thief comes to steal, mm-hmm. to kill, and to destroy, John ten ten. but I've come that you might have life. He describes him as the father of lies, and when he speaks, he speaks his native language, but I am the mm-hmm. way, the truth, and the life. So I think all sin mm-hmm. boils down to, at its core, is I'm going to believe what God says, or I'm going to believe what the voices or this voice says. Mm-hmm. He's the father of lies. So all sin begins with a lie, a, a, right. a, a bait and switch, a sleight mm-hmm. of hand. Like sin promises this, yeah. but in the end, it doesn't keep its promise. God mm-hmm. says, I promise this, and in the end, I will keep my promise. So it comes down to this, which story or which author, yeah. which voice am I, am I going to yield to and trust? And trust is not... Do you have a hard time trusting sometimes? Is it like trust is the trust yeah. is the is the big deal? Yeah, right? trust in the word of the Lord is incredibly challenging. No one pretend like it's not. Okay, well, let's go to the next question because I think it it's actually relates yeah. in a way. Yeah, and yeah. It, it is this: Why does Jesus tell his disciples, "Don't tell people who I am"? Is he trying to <laughs> use reverse psychology, like? Don't tell people, wink, wink. Like, that, that's, that's a great well question. Put, yeah. If you've read the Gospels and you've seen moments like that where he, he tells his disciples, sometimes he tells someone he just healed, don't tell anybody I did this. <laughs> yeah. You do kind of come, up, come away with the question, like, well, why is he, I thought the whole point, aren't, aren't we all supposed to tell people about Jesus? How come Jesus was telling people not to tell people about him? 
Uh, what do you think is going on? Isn't that interesting, though, about just the, again, mm-hmm. every story has a flow, right? Yeah. Uh, and so sometimes in a story, the, the, the antagonist, the, 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 the bad guy, doesn't show up like a bad guy right away, shows up like a good guy, and vice versa. So mm-hmm. there's this mystery sometimes. And I think what Jesus was doing is he was avoiding what would be a natural flow of things in the sense of promotion and human ambition. This is my yeah. take. But he's, yeah. why would he say, don't tell anybody? I would think for the same reason he said to his mother at the wedding in Cana, yeah. it's not my time. I thought the same thing. It's not my time yet, right? right? So timing is, like everything else, is in mm-hmm. God's hand. He is the author in charge of the page turning, in charge of the chapters that go from, you know, from one to another. And so in the natural, though, mm-hmm. if I was a disciple... Hey, let's grow this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, let's 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 promote this thing. They didn't have what we have at our disposal, but yeah. word of mouth was pretty powerful and healing was pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. But Jesus said, "I'm not giving in to that ambition yep. at this time." That is really worth, I think, restating, paying attention to. Jesus' um, way just doesn't line up with corporate growth models. Yeah, <laughs> he would often walk away from the crowd, hide from people, sometimes say things that purposefully drove people away. In instances like this, tell people, don't tell anyone what I just did. Even when it was miraculous, and you think, this is, man, geez, we got to capitalize on this. This is great promotional material. That guy was blind. Now he sees. We got to get him in front of everyone we can. I mean, he's going he's gonna to be your, your best testimonial. Like, this is our candidate right here. Yeah, but instead, he always gave glory to his father. He said he only did what he saw the father doing or what he heard the father saying. So he just walked in perfect obedience. And because it's like another, each one of those is almost like another test from the enemy, even though it wasn't the enemy there saying, hey, why don't you use this for your glory? Mm-hmm. You know, why, why don't you use this to promote yourself? Why don't you use this to, to gain the kingdoms of the world? But instead he was here doing his father's Do you business. think we see this today? Do you think there's anything applicable today in, in the area of like church culture around the world or, or church growth models and things like that? Is there anything at play oh here? Oh my that... goodness, 100%. I, I always want to be as kind as possible because I totally understand, but I, I think we're so tempted to bring in the celebrity you know, someone just got saved, you know, hey, Justin Bieber got saved, let's put him in front of everyone, let's right. make this, you yeah. know, and, and, and uh, this is, I probably shouldn't have even used a name, I'm not picking on Justin Bieber, but the the Jesus way is humility, the Jesus way looks so different, that's why we often mm-hmm. call it the upside down kingdom. Um, I, I, I know I'm, I quickly fall into a corporate model of how to grow, because yeah. the kingdom of of God is about growth. Right. But it's the mustard seed example. It's the leaven example. It's the little that gets in and takes over. It's not the big, it's the little. You know, there's an interesting passage of Scripture, again, it's in the book of John, where John makes the statement, Jesus didn't entrust himself mm-hmm. to everybody because he knew what was in the heart of men. What a, what a fascinating statement that Jesus loved everybody, but he mm-hmm. didn't trust everybody. Right. I mean, because he knew what we're made of. And, and I think in our humanity, there's a human ambition that loves results, that loves the uh, uh, winning, that loves coming out on top, which in some contexts, I'm sure that's fine. But Jesus knew something 
that they didn't, right. that this is not my father's timetable. And it's even... Yeah, I, this passage is worth reading in regards to this question. It mm-hmm. says that in Philippians 2, who is in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Mm-hmm. Man, you think about how powerful or intoxicating power yeah. is. So even though he was in the form of God, he refused to use it for mm-hmm. his advantage. He was going back to the first question, right? He knew this was a temptation. Right. Hey, I could use my power to bypass the cross. Mm-hmm. I could win the nations without the cross. But it says, no, instead, he made himself nothing mm-hmm. by taking the very nature of a servant and was made in human likeness. But he didn't stop there. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. That was God's end mm-hmm. because of the whole theology of the atonement that the righteous judgment of God for the sins of the world had to be, right. had to be atoned for. This cup had to be this blood had to be shed, and it was no longer a, a sacrificial lamb of the Old Testament, but it was the lamb of God. All right. I feel like we're speed running through these, but uh, I, I want to try to do at least one more. Um, is God being omniscient and omnipotent, cynical for creating humanity, knowing in advance mm-hmm. that we would fall into sin and be separated from him, and then requiring that we believe in him not to be cast into hell for eternity? Um, this obviously a complex sentence, but it's a, it's a complex question as well, and it, it gets to that place of God's sovereignty. Like, if, if God, knowing all, knowing all creates us, then he knows we're going to fall, then did he create us to fall would be maybe a simpler way of asking the same question. Um, and, and listen, I don't know, people have wrestled with this question. Yeah for a long, long time, and I don't think in a 20-minute podcast we're going to get to the, sure. the end of it, but do you have a quick answer for when someone asks that question about the sovereignty of God and the omniscience of God? I think my answer, I was just reflecting while you were speaking, is really in the form of a question, what if, what if again, have you ever, have you ever been, again, back to a movie or a novel, reading or watching, mm-hmm. and thinking you had the plot figured out? Those are the kind of, yeah. uh, the movies I love are the spy movies, the intrigue, the, the you know, not sure who, who's who. I don't like a yeah. plot that's super obvious. Right. And then you realize, oh, there's a twist. Mm-hmm. And I had it all backwards, or mm-hmm. I wasn't correct. What if this whole story... And this is hard for us to wrap our minds around because of our humanity, but what if this whole story is about God's glory? Right. What if the whole thing is about God being exalted on his planet, being exalted in humanity once again, the image bearers that he created? He created these image bearers. And what if this whole thing is about even our struggles? Now, when I struggle, when I'm in pain, when I feel lost, it's just so small, it's about me. But right. what, if, what if suffering and struggle is meant for us yeah. to discover the glory of God, the, the majesty of God, the greatness of God? Mm-hmm. And it can't be discovered. I mean, isn't Christianity the basic premise that you can't discover the glory of God unless right. you go through the cross? Mm-hmm. I, I think, yeah, it absolutely is. And also, I, I think the, the question assumes uh, a Calvinistic theology and worldview mm-hmm. that we don't have. <laughs> We're not Calvinists. Now, the, don't get me wrong, Calvinists are incredibly smart. I, I hold Reformed theology very highly, sure. I, I think very highly of it. Some of my all-time favorite preachers, teachers are Reformed Calvinists, but we're not. <laughs> uh, 
And so I, I think if, if we had time and could unpack that a little bit more, we'd say, like, yes, if you believed a hard Jesus created, God created some people for hell, and he created some people for heaven, which would be the more strict Calvinist view, then it, you might say, man, that feels like God is cynical. But that's not what we believe. That's not what we see in Scripture. We, we see there's a genuine call for men to come to repentance. Now, the Holy Spirit has to draw them, but that we actually have... Uh, some free will in our life and, and can choose. Um, and so I, I think that makes a, a big difference in thinking whether or not God is cynical. Because when I look at hardline, um, I, I'll just say Calvinist theology, I'm like, yeah, that does feel sort of cynical, but that's not where we land. What if, what if God is, the truth is he's perfect? Because mm-hmm. that's how he describes himself. He's perfect in knowledge, perfect in judgment, He's perfect in truth. And so in his universe, at a point in time, Mm -hmm. all things will be made new. All things will be made right. Wickedness will be eliminated, and it will be judged. That's the Mm. hope. Uh, So evil and pain and so forth, all the pain that evil produces is one day going to be rectified, and it's going to be judged, and it's going to be made right. And that's that's our hope, that he will rule as king, not as an elected official, but he will rule as, you know the supreme king of the universe of all time. Mm-hmm. And again, that's, a, that's tough for us, because we can't get off of planet Earth to see the breadth of his kingdom. We're mm-hmm. just here on this one little planet, spinning in space among eight or nine others, and, uh, but imagine the breadth mm-hmm. and the width of God's rule and reign. All right, one line, we'll get out on this. Just give me, give me one quick line as, as the most succinct answer you can give. How can you hear the voice of God? How can you hear you have, the voice you have, of God? Wow, that's a great one. One's the thing. Someone like, you're passing in the hallway. How do you hear the voice of God? What's the quickest answer you can give them? I would say humble yourself and slow down to listen. That's good. Hmm. Humble yourself, slow down to listen is a perfect answer. I like that. Knowing that I need to hear the voice of God mm-hmm. and believing that I can hear the voice of God if yeah. I'll just slow down and tune out all the distractions. Yep. If I'd add anything to that, I'd say... Um, Treat him as Lord. Yeah, yeah. In other words, be ready to obey what he says. Because if you already have preloaded, I'm not going to obey what he says, then why would he speak to you? It would just bring more condemnation. But if I come saying, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, Mm. I think that's someone he can speak to. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been fun. Uh, Man, keep... Time is up. Goes quick. Yeah. Keep giving us those questions. We'll keep doing the best we can. So... Yeah. And if you know somebody that uh, would benefit from what you just listened to, pass it along. Like us or send the link to somebody and let's grow this thing. We'd love to get out there and reach people with the gospel. Absolutely. See you guys on Sunday.